I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the One Woman Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Grace, and this is the podcast where we talk about all things books, authors, book community news, my current life updates, and discuss a quarter of our monthly book club pick, which this month is All the Dangerous Things by Stacey Willingham. I hope you all had a fabulous week. Um, I know last week I was a little melancholy and mostly talked about, you know, being in a reading slump and just feeling overall pretty anxious. So thank you all for being so incredibly supportive and understanding my need to take a bit of a pause from my book Instagram. I posted on Monday, like I mentioned, just feeling like really down and anxious. And I didn't post again until Friday on St. Patrick's Day. And it just I mean, I know that that's genuinely three days off. But I really wasn't like on it at all wasn't liking posts wasn't posting wasn't trying to like really grow except I did post poll questions for the book club this week, which felt good. But other than that, I really didn't do much on the app. So I did feel good to take that little bit of a break. You know, sometimes the app just makes me feel 
pretty burnt out and I don't really have a lot of original or new ideas at this time, um, like waiting for spring like I talked about last week. So it did just feel good to take time for myself. And because of that, I was actually able to pick up a new book, which felt really great. Um, which I'll talk about in a little while. Unfortunately, the book choice is not the most uplifting of choices, which again, I'll talk about, but it is still making me enjoy reading again, which is really great and feels really good. So there is something exciting other than our monthly book club discussion to look forward to in this episode. I am going to reveal the April book club picks and a little tiny bit of a different upload schedule for April in general. Um, I haven't released the April books on my bookstagram yet. So if you're listening to the podcast today, you get the scoop first and you will have the most time to think about which book you want to read in April. Wednesday morning this week, I'll release the books to Instagram and that's when you'll have the chance to vote on which one you want to read. And as a reminder, just to get you thinking, because we have read two thrillers in a row now, thriller in February and then a thriller in March, there will not be a thriller option or like a suspense or a mystery, anything like that to choose from for next month. Just in case people don't like to read that genre in general, I wanted to give them an option to read something that they enjoy too. So that's coming up a little bit later in today's episode. So my life, (laughs) quick life update, I am feeling a bit better. Um, If you've been following my passport saga, I really haven't shared too much, but there really aren't too many updates to share. Not that I'm sure most of you care anyway. Um, I'm going to Punta Cana exactly four weeks from today, which is so exciting. And I expedited my passport renewal on February 1st and still don't have it back yet. So yes, that is where the vast majority of my anxiety is stemming from. But I'm trying to stay positive and really trying not to let it get me down this week. And I know I'm going to get it in time. I am manifesting it, putting out into the universe. But let's just say it is definitely at the top of my mind. However, genuinely, like the past few weeks, I've been paralyzed by this fear of not going, which has definitely led me to stop reading and stop exercising and just everything else. And I decided I woke up and I was like, today, all of that is changing. I went to the gym first thing this morning. And I'm just saying, like, fuck it, I'm going on this trip. And I just can't be paralyzed with this fear anymore. So I will move heaven and earth to get my passport in time. So that's that I am trying to be way more positive this week. Other than that, um, I had a great weekend. I celebrated St. Patrick's Day on Friday with my friends. And in general, we just like had a blast. It was super fun. Saturday, I relaxed at home all day, watched some movies, read a little bit. It felt great. And then yesterday, we had a family lunch, which was nice. And now it's back to the work week this week. So um, speaking of, I did want to talk about this a little bit. Speaking of having a good time on Friday, it was the opening night of Taylor Swift's Eras Tour, and I have been dying to hear about the set list and watch the TikToks ever since it was announced. So I don't know if many of you know this, but I feel like if you do follow me on Bookstagram, you would know this. I'm definitely a huge Swifty, even though that feels cringy sometimes to say. I don't know why. Definitely a huge Swifty. I have been a massive fan literally since Tim McGraw. I remember being at my dad's house and my friend Emma texted me and saying, have you heard the new Tim McGraw song? And I was like, I don't really listen to country, but she's like, no, it's by Taylor Swift, like Tim McGraw. And I had never heard of Taylor Swift. And I remember genuinely going on my big desktop computer with like dial up internet, like genuinely, I was like 12 or 13. This is in seventh grade. 
and looking up Tim McGraw by Taylor Swift. And I was like, oh my God, I love, love, love this song. Immediately bought her debut album and have vivid, vivid memories of listening to it in the car with my mom, like driving everywhere. We would just like belt out all of the songs on debut. Like I loved debut. And that my mom has always been a country music fan. Like we have been to see the Dixie Chicks or just the Chicks now twice. And we're going to go see them again this August. Um, So she's always been a country fan. And she was like, Oh my God, this girl is like amazing. And I was like, I know. So I loved her ever since then. So debut came out when I was in seventh grade, loved her. And then Fearless came out in eighth grade and loved Fearless, obviously. Like, I remember them. there was a YouTube video of Selena Gomez. I don't know if any of you guys remember this, but there was a YouTube video of Selena Gomez being asked, like, what's your favorite song right now? And she was like, it's absolutely Fearless by Taylor Swift. And I was like, oh my God, what's Fearless? Even though I was a Taylor Swift fan, like, back then it wasn't as, like, for me anyway, I wasn't, like, waiting on the release date of albums. I was like, oh my God, it's out. And like, you know, Anyway, I got it. I always, always, always got her new albums. And then once Speak Now came out, I was definitely more into like the social media element of it all. I remember driving to Target after school one day. I had this whole like ritual driving to Target, getting the album, getting like the Target exclusive one, whatever, going to Wendy's, getting a 10 piece chicken nugget with honey mustard. I'm not kidding. Like this was a ritual going, listening to the album. Speak Now is by far my favorite Taylor Swift album. So I have a little bit of a sore spot for the tour, which I'll talk about in a little bit. I don't want to make this a Taylor Swift podcast. But anyway, did the same thing for Red, loved Red. And then 1989 came out and it wasn't my all time fave, but that's okay. I'm just not a 1989 girly. I love Reputation. It did grow on me. And then I love Folklore Evermore and Midnight's is pretty good too. Um, so anyway, needless to say, when she announced that she was going to go on the Eras tour, I was like, I have to go, I have to figure out a way to do this. And it was a lot to try to get my tickets. I was actually on a work trip. As you know, if you've been listening, I go, I kind of like, I do a lot of work conferences for my job. So I was in San Antonio, Texas, coming back from a work conference. And I was literally boarding the plane and when the tickets were going to go on sale for Capital One presale. And that's what I had. And I was like, okay, guys, to my two friends who are going to go with me, like, and my boyfriend, I was like, here's all of my information. Try to log on. Whoever can get on and get the tickets, like, we'll Venmo, we'll figure it out. None of them could get on. And I was like, once again, fuck it. Let me just try it got on, was boarding the plane, was in my seat. My phone had 13% charge. There were no chargers that far back on the plane where I was. And they were like, okay, put your phones on airplane mode. And I'm in the queue. And I'm like, oh my God. I, I, I was like in the queue, but not like 2000 people ahead of me. There were like I don't know, 250. And I'm like, oh my God, I haven't even seen that screenshot of anyone anywhere. Like I'm gonna get them. Turned my phone on airplane mode, turned it off airplane mode. And then it literally catapulted me to like 12th in the queue. And I was able to get three tickets to her second night at Gillette Stadium in May, which I am just I'm so thrilled that whole flight back to home from San Antonio, I was like on cloud nine, like pretty much near tears, the people in the seat next to me were like, Oh, my God, you got them. And I've never seen Taylor Swift on tour, like at a stadium tour. The only time I have seen her, which feels even more special, honestly, was I grew up in Kennebunk, Maine, and she filmed her music video for mine in Kennebunk, which is like, what, like incredible. And so she did like a very small 
intimate sort of concert for CMT at St. Anne's Church in Kennebunk, which is like a really beautiful church in Kennebunkport. And my friend Kaylee and I got to go to that. And it was free. She played like maybe four or five songs. But I remember she played 15. And it was very sentimental because like I was going into my sophomore year of high school. And it was just wonderful. But anyway, regardless, I was thrilled with the set list of the Eras Tour. Um, 44 songs, three and a half hours. Like we really were spoiled. Like we, can, if you're a Swifty, like we really can't ask for much more. The only thing I would ask for more of was a little bit more of Speak Now. Enchanted was one of my all-time favorite songs when it came out and it's still like top, probably top five Taylor Swift songs for me. So I'm thrilled that she's playing Enchanted, like so excited. Um, but I would love more Speak Now and I would love any of debut. But I don't want to make this a Taylor Swift podcast. I could go on about this for hours. But if you are a Swifty, message me on Instagram because I would love to chat about the tour with you a little bit. But let's get back into books. <laughs> so like I mentioned, I was able to actually pick up a book this week that wasn't for the book club. So I'm very happy. And the book I picked up is Betty by Tiffany McDaniel. Um, I have heard amazing things about this one from a ton of my bookstagram friends. And it has such a great score on Goodreads, like 4.3 or 4.5 or something like that. So I figured I was going to like it. And I definitely am. But I guess I didn't realize just how heavy it was because... Wow, like genuinely, extremely depressing, very emotional, really triggering, like if 1000% please look up the trigger warnings before reading this because at times I was like, Oh my god, I have to put this book down. This is like intense. Again, extremely depressing, very emotional. I don't know if that's a good thing for my current mental state right now. But that's okay. Because all in all, I am really enjoying it. Because if you guys know me, you know, I love a coming of age story with like dramatic family elements. So if you like those things too, let me read you guys the Goodreads synopsis. A stunning lyrical novel set in the rolling foothills of the Appalachians in which a young girl discovers stark truths that will haunt her for the rest of her life. That is true. It is it is dark. Um, so begins the story of Betty Carpenter, born in a bathtub in 1954 to a Cherokee father and white mother. Betty is the sixth of eight siblings. The world they inhabit is one of poverty and violence, both from outside the family and also devastatingly from within. The lush landscape, rich with birdsong, wild fruit, and blazing stars, becomes a kind of refuge for Betty. But when her family's darkest secrets are brought to light, she has no choice but to reckon with the brutal history hiding in the hills, as well as the heart-wrenching cruelties and incredible characters she encounters in her rural town of Breathitt, Ohio. But despite the hardship she faces, Betty is resilient. Her curiosity about the natural world, her fierce love of her sisters, and her father's brilliant stories are kindling for the fire of her own imagination. And in the face of all she bears witness to, Betty discovers an escape she begins to write. That's all I want to read. I don't want to read much more because I'm reading it. It is genuinely, genuinely incredible. I'm a little over halfway and Sometimes it takes me a while to pick it up because I know that when I pick it up, I'm in for something like really heavy. But once I do pick it up, I genuinely do not want to put it down until it's time to do something like go to bed or make dinner or chore or whatever um, or work. <laughs> so it definitely has gotten me out of a reading slump, which I am so thankful for. Genuinely for me, sometimes it takes like an all-encompassing, dramatic, jaw-dropping, heavy family, like coming of age read to get me to read again. And that's okay because I'm reading. So that's great. And of course, I am 75% of the way through All the Dangerous Things and I am loving it. It is genuinely fast approaching a five-star read for me, which is really saying something for a thriller. So I'm just, for lack of a better word, thrilled about that. Okay, 
I do want to talk about a couple other things. Um, total side note, but something I wanted to talk about because I've said her name about 2 million times in my life and a large handful of those times have been on this podcast. Jodi Picoult came up on my TikTok this week and she said, hi, I'm Jodi Pico. And I was like, what? That's how you pronounced your name this whole time? Like I have been reading Jodi Pico's books since I was in like early, early high school. And I have literally always said Jodi Picoult, like always. And she even like after she did the video that I first saw, which is about banned books, which was really interesting and like devastating in a lot of ways. But then she made a follow up video, which was talking about all the ways people have said her name wrong forever. And Picoult was one of them. But it's Pico. So I'd be very curious to hear if you guys are like me and have been mispronouncing Jodi Pico's name your whole entire life because I have. So that was my side note. But I realized that I didn't talk about any of the Celebrity Book Club picks for March in the last two episodes. So if you've been living under a rock, genuinely like I've been this month in the book world, I did want to discuss those with you and my thoughts about them very briefly. So first up, we have Reese's Book Club pick, and she went with The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. And that is one that made my top 10 books of last year and a historical fiction pick that's dev- like definitely one of my all-time favorites. And I know it is for many, many other people too. However, I was definitely surprised that it was her pick this month. And I'm always surprised by celebrity book club picks that are way older books as their picks of the month. Like for example, when Jenna Bush Hager picked The Secret History, I think she picked that in December. I was definitely surprised. But I have mixed feelings about it. So I'm happy in one sense, because it potentially gets more people to read the book. If you haven't heard of The Nightingale or The Secret History, actually read them both. They're both amazing books. But on the other hand, I personally want picks that I may not know about. And as like a stupid, like, you know, superficial thing. I'm not a huge fan of having their stickers on the cover of the books from now until eternity. Like I like a nice clean cover. But anyways, I'll save you guys from yet another synopsis of a Kristen Hanna book that I'm sure the vast majority of you have read. But anyway, that was Reese's pick. GMA's book club pick was Pineapple Street by Jenny Jackson, which was also a March book of the month pick for many people I know. This one has been everywhere. And I'm kind of sad I didn't get it in my last book of the month box because I'm hearing really, really good things and the cover is stunning. So here is the Goodreads synopsis. Darley, the eldest daughter and the well-connected, carefully guarded old money Stockton family followed her heart, trading her job and inheritance for motherhood, sacrificing more of herself than she ever intended. Sasha, middle class and from New England, has married into the Brooklyn Heights family and finds herself cast as the arrivist outsider, wondering how she might ever understand their waspy ways. Georgiana, the baby of the family, has fallen in love with someone she can't and really shouldn't have and must confront the kind of person she wants to be. Rife with the indulgent pleasures of life among New York's one percenters, Pineapple Street is a smart escapist novel that sparkles with wit. It's about the peculiar unknowability of someone else's family, the miles between the haves and have-nots, and everything in between, and the insanity of first love. So yeah, that genuinely does seem right up my alley. I love a family drama. I love like New York settings, anything like that. So I'm sure I will be picking this one up very soon. 
And lastly, the only other book club I typically follow is my favorite Read with Jenna's book club. And her March pick was Black Candle Women by Diane Marie Brown. And this one I really haven't heard too much about. No one had really talked about it too much on Bookstagram from what I've seen. So I wanted to start with a synopsis. Um, On Jenna's page, it says it's a debut novel, which is exciting. And it follows three generations of Montrose women who live together in California. So here is the Goodreads synopsis of Black candle women. So Jenna had also said it says on Goodreads, if you like practical magic, you will love black candle women. I love that sort of thing. Um, So it says a warm and wry family drama with a magical twist about four generations of black women, a family love curse and the secrets they keep for and from each other over one very complicated year. Generations of Montrose women, Augusta, Victoria, Willow, have always lived together in their quaint California bungalow. They keep to themselves, never venture far from home, and their collection of tinctures and spells is an unspoken bond between them. But when young Nikki Montrose brings home a boy for the first time, their quiet lives are thrown into disarray. For the family has withheld a crucial secret from Nikki all these years. Any person a Montrose woman falls in love with will die. Their surprise guest forces each woman to reckon with her own past choices and mistakes. And as new truths about the curse emerge, they're set on a collision course dating back to 1950s New Orleans French Quarter, where a hidden story in a mysterious book may just hold the answers they seek in life and love. That sounds amazing. And I genuinely wish I heard about it sooner. I love that there's a bit of a magical realism and fantasy vibe mixed in um, with some generational trauma, family drama historical fiction, it seems like. So that is one I will definitely be picking up. I love witchy stuff like that. Okay, so if you've made it through all of that, before we discuss a quarter of all the dangerous things, let's discuss our April book club picks. Like I mentioned, the upload schedule is very, very minimally different for April. But depending on what book we pick, the reading schedule may be a little different as well. Like if it's longer or shorter, whatever. I know that I've also talked about doing two books in a month. And I definitely still want to try something like that. But I'm going to have to start that for May. Um, Because I'm going on an eight day vacation in April, it would just be too difficult, I feel like with the uploading schedule to make sure everything is up on time and everything. And I want to make sure I give two books my full attention. So first, let's talk the podcast upload schedule for April, as it may contribute to the book you end up choosing. The first episode will go live as always, the first Monday of the month, and that is April 3rd. The second episode will go live on April 10th. The third episode will go live on April 17th, and that's the day I'm leaving for my vacation. So I'll be pretty MIA for about a week. And then the final episode will go live the following week. But since I'm coming home on the Monday, I will most likely upload something like Thursday, April 27th. So we'll all just have a little extra time to pick up the read and like read up to that point, the ending. Um, But I'll keep you guys posted that week. So that's just something to keep in mind. If you want to pick one that's a little bit longer, we're going to have more time to read it. So just something to think about. But let's get into the picks. The first one you have to choose from is Wayward by Amelia Hart. I know so many of you got this in your book of the month boxes last month, including myself. And the cover is absolutely stunning if you haven't seen it. So However, other than that, it's not incredibly well known and only has 4,978 reviews on Goodreads, which is not that high of a number, um, but an amazing total of 4.27 stars so far. It came out this year and the genre is magical realism and it's about 336 pages according to Goodreads. Here is the synopsis. I am a wayward and wild inside. 2019. 
Under cover of darkness, Kate flees London for ramshackle wayward cottage, inherited from a great aunt she barely remembers. With its tumbling ivy and overgrown garden, the cottage is worlds away from the abusive partner who tormented Kate. But she begins to suspect that her great aunt had a secret, one that lurks in the bones of the cottage hidden ever since the witch hunts of the 17th century. 1619. Eltha is awaiting trial for the murder of a local farmer who was stampeded to death by his herd. As a girl, Altha's mother taught her their magic, a kind not rooted in spellcasting, but in a deep knowledge of the natural world. But unusual women have always been deemed dangerous, and as the evidence for witchcraft is set out against Alta, she knows it will take all of her powers to maintain her freedom. 1942. As World War II rages, Violet is trapped in her family's grand, crumbling estate. Straight-jacketed by societal convention, she longs for the robust education her brother receives, and for her mother, long deceased, who is rumored to have gone mad before her death. The only traces Violet has of her are a locket bearing the initial W and the word wayward scratched into the basement of her bedroom. Weaving together the stories of three extraordinary women across five centuries, Amelia Hart's Wayward is an enthralling novel of female resilience and the transformative power of the natural world. Guys, like, come on. We have witchy elements. We have historical fiction. We have generations of women, generational trauma, it might seem like. I am literally obsessed I will most likely be reading this regardless if we pick it for the book club very, very soon. So I don't want to give too much of my own opinion, but it sounds amazing. The second book you have to choose from is Iona Aversion's Rules for Commuting by Claire Pooley. This is one I got on my birthday when my boyfriend had me choose some books at Barnes & Noble and one I really didn't know much about at all. But when I posted, I got it on my bookstagram. So many people, like way more than I thought, were like, oh my God, this book is amazing. You're going to love it. So I've been really, really excited to read it. And it seems like a really like uplifting um like lighthearted choice, which may be something we need in this book club at this point. This one came out in 2022, and it's approximately 342 pages according to Goodreads. It has 18,999 reviews and a total score of 4.25, which is awesome. The genre is contemporary romance, and here is the Goodreads synopsis. Nobody ever talks to strangers on the train. It's a rule. But what would happen if they did? From the New York Times and Globe and Mail bestselling author of The Authenticity Project, a heartwarming novel about unexpected friendships and the joy of connecting. Every day, Iona, a larger-than-life magazine advice columnist, travels the 10 stops from Hampton Court to Waterloo Station by train, accompanied by her dog, Lulu. Every day, she sees the same people whom she knows only by nickname, impossibly pretty constant reader and terribly lonely stranger. Of course, they never speak. Seasoned commuters never do. Then one morning, the man she calls smart but sexist manspreader chokes on a grape right in front of her. He'd have died were it not for the timely intervention of Sanjay, a nurse who gives him the Heimlich maneuver. This single event starts a chain reaction, and an eclectic group of people with almost nothing in common except their commute discover that a chance encounter can blossom into much more. It turns out that talking to strangers can teach you about the world around you, and even more about yourself. So good. I love a book like that where just seems lighthearted. It's a contemporary romance. We're going to have some romance in there. And it just sounds amazing. And one that I've heard really, really good things about. And I know that the vast majority of us would love it. 
The third book you have to choose from is The Gracier by Kim Leggett. This one has been on my TBR forever and one that I know a lot, a lot, a lot of people love. This one was published in 2019, so it is a bit older. And according to Goodreads, it's 416 pages. It has 88,456 ratings, so the most so far in a total of 4.15, which is really, really good for that many reviews. The genre is YA fiction and a bit of dystopian fiction. Although it is YA, which is young adult, um, I've heard from numerous like older adults like myself, even though I'm only 28, um, that it's a wonderful book and very similar to The Hunger Games, which were truly some of my favorite books when I was a teenager. I don't even want to get into how obsessed I was with those books and movies. But if you knew me back then, you know how crazy I went for them. So I have a good feeling I'd like this one. Let's just say that. So here is the Goodreads synopsis. No one speaks of the grace here. It's forbidden. In Garner County, girls are told they have the power to lure grown men from their beds to drive women mad with jealousy. They believe their very skin emits a powerful aphrodisiac, the potent essence of youth of a girl on the edge of womanhood. That's why they're banished for their 16th year, to release their magic into the wild so they can return purified and ready for marriage. But not all of them will make it home alive. 16-year-old Tierney James dreams of a better life, a society that doesn't pit friend against friend or woman against woman. But as her own grace here draws near, she quickly realizes that it's not just the brutal elements they must fear. It's not even the poachers in the woods, men who are waiting for a chance to grab one of the girls in order to make a fortune on the black market. Their greatest threat may very well be each other. With sharp prose and gritty realism, the Gracier examines the complex and sometimes twisted relationships between girls, the women they eventually become, and the difficult decisions they make in between. Okay, amazing. That sounds so good. Would genuinely love to read that regardless of the book club. Um, so excited about that choice. And lastly, our fourth choice is Mame by Jessica George. I know this one has been everywhere and was released this year. So I wanted to include two new releases from this year and two slightly older books and cover a few different genres. So if you haven't read this one yet, I do think it will be a great choice. This is a historical fiction. It's about 320 pages according to Goodreads, and it has 15,922 reviews and a total score of 4.20. Here is the synopsis if you haven't heard about it so far this year. Mame has many meanings in Twee, but in my case, it means woman. It's fair to say that Maddie's life in London is far from rewarding. With a mother who spends most of her time in Ghana, yet still somehow manages to be overbearing, Maddie is the primary caretaker of her father who suffers from advanced stage Parkinson's. At work, her boss is a nightmare, and Maddie is tired of always being the only Black person in every meeting. When her mom returns from her latest trip to Ghana, Maddie leaps at the chance to get out of the family home and finally start living. A self-acknowledged late bloomer, she's ready to experience some important firsts. She finds a flat chair, says yes to after work drinks, pushes for more recognition in her career, and throws herself into the bewildering world of internet dating. But it's not long before tragedy strikes, forcing Maddie to face the true nature of her unconventional family and the perils and rewards of putting her heart on the line. So I guess it's not a historical fiction. Am I crazy for thinking it was? I thought it had been marketed as historical fiction everywhere. Um, let me quickly look that up. It is... Oh, it's a coming of age story in contemporary literature. I am so sorry. It's not historical fiction. But how good does that sound? I would totally love to read that. I love historical fiction, but I think I love a coming of age story even more. So that one sounds amazing. So do your own research and decide which one you'll be voting for when I post the polls coming up on Wednesday of this week. And I am so excited to see what you all pick. 
You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. And that is all for our first part of today's podcast episode. So now let's get into our discussion of All the Dangerous Things by Stacey Willingham. As a reminder for today's episode, you should have read up to chapter 47. So that is through chapter 46. So if you're not up to chapter 47, stop listening now if you don't want any spoilers, because we will definitely be talking about spoilers. If you don't care and you want to listen anyway, but you're not up to the chapter 47, that's okay. Just keep on listening. But no, there will be spoilers ahead. So back to normal this week, I'm going to go through chapter by chapter with my thoughts and my own theories and everything like that that I wrote notes on as I was reading. And I did have a chance to do polls last week about what you guys were thinking as well. So we'll talk about those once I'm done with my notes. We left off on chapter 31. We learned that Isabel thought her sleepwalking stopped when she went to college, seemingly because she was out of her parents' house. That's just what I took from that. Other than that, um, we learn that she knows the only time it ever happened or the time that she only thinks it happened was when she saw herself do it on the baby monitor by um, Mason's crib in the videos. So I was wondering, um, does Ben have something to do with it? Like, was he giving her pills that somehow made her sleepwalk because he knew that she had a past with that? And did he do the same sort of thing to Allison? Because we know that she overdosed on pills and that's how she died. Then Isabel watches more videos and she thinks and starts really thinking about how when her and Ben met, Ben was really just trading Allison in for a newer model in the form of Isabel, like I had said last week. But she still believes that Ben and Allison's home life was bad. And that's why he fell in love with her. But I'm personally not buying that, as we know. Chapter 32, Detective Dozier shows up at Isabel's house after she left all the voicemails about the man on the porch to him. And Waylon actually said that he was going to go to the station to talk to Dozier himself. But Dozier stopped at 
Isabel's house before going to the station. He said that he does know the man that lives at that house and his name is Paul Hayes. So as a side note, I was like, why does Paul Hayes sound so familiar? But it's because Jake and Nina in Just the Nicest Couple had the last name Hayes. So I was like, am I missing something? But then I realized that's that's why. But weird coincidence that in both thrillers we read for the podcast so far, there's been last names of Hayes. And I feel like that's not too common. So anyway, Paul Hayes, who lives at the house where... Isabel saw that old man. He is on parole from drug charges, but apparently to Detective Dozier, he's doing great and his parole officer visits him every week. He says there's not anyone else living there and that whoever that man was on the porch wasn't there the night of Mason's disappearance. I don't know how he knows that, but... That's just what he said. When he goes to leave, Isabel kind of starts freaking out and she shouts that she didn't kill her son. And Dozier says that he never said that she did. I still think Isabel committing this crime isn't likely. She did mention all of this feels like having flashbacks to Margaret, but I also am starting to think that she was framed for whatever happened there too, personally. Chapter 33 is a flashback chapter we finally learned that Margaret actually is dead. Her dad tells her to lie about what she saw that morning. So we're back to that morning where she wakes up with the wet carpet and everything. So he tells her to lie about yeah, the wet carpet, the towels in the bathroom, the new nightgown, the mud behind her ear, all of that. Um, Basically, he wants her to say to the police when they ask her what happened that she fell asleep. And when she woke up, Um, Margaret wasn't there and she went downstairs and her parents told her what happened. So that's exactly what she told the police officer. And at this point, I said, I truly didn't know what to believe. Did the mom do it? And Isabel was protecting Margaret. I just have a tough time believing she would hurt her on purpose because she loved her sister more than anything. She was really like a motherly figure to Margaret. Not to say that, you know, she couldn't have done it while she was sleepwalking, but I just have a hard time believing it. You know, she's also never been violent when, violent when she sleepwalks. But at this point in the flashback, she believes her parents are protecting her from what she did to Margaret. So she's believing she did something to her too. Chapter 34, we're back to present day. Isabel wants to do some more digging into Paul Hayes and the man on the porch. She also wants to learn more about her sleepwalking and if it's dangerous. So she leaves a voicemail for Dr. Harris. Then, bombshell, Waylon calls her and says he had a chance to meet with Dozier, which is not possible because he just left her own house. He also says Dozier doesn't know anything about Isabel's neighbor, which isn't true because he knew exactly who he was and went to Isabel to tell her that. Now, of course, Isabel isn't trusting Waylon at all and thinks he is truly hiding something. And I said I could go 50-50 on that. Last week, I do think he was acting fishy with the baby monitor video, um, which, you know, when she when he asked her to play like the angle of the baby monitor video, and as soon as he realized that it wasn't pointing toward the window, he kind of like left that all behind. I thought that was very weird. And I've also said that I thought it was strange that he definitely clearly sought her out at True Crime Con. But I also don't think he's totally guilty. I feel like that's a red herring of some kind. Um, Then I asked, is he just saying that about Dozier to get her to stop obsessing over something slash someone he knows isn't involved? Is he trying to help her get her life back? Is he working with Dr. Harris or even Paul Hayes, Casey or Ben? And then at the end of this chapter, there's a sentence about how violence presents itself. And we see or we read Isabel think a handful of swallowed pills or a scream underwater is the scream she's referring to Margaret's. 
Chapter 35, Isabel ditches her lunch plans with Waylon and instead goes to Dr. Harris's office to try to get some answers into how dangerous sleepwalking can be. He explains that though rare, homicidal sleepwalking has occurred, and now Isabel is spiraling, thinking she could have done something to both Margaret and Mason. But Dr. Harris says that what's even more dangerous is sleep deprivation, and it can cause many things, including hallucinations. So is Waylon a hallucination? Is Casey? Is the man on the porch? I'm thinking that it's being presented that we should be really, really worried about Isabel sleepwalking. And what we should actually be worried about this whole time is her sleep deprivation. That's what I'm starting to think. Chapter 36 is a flashback to Ben and Isabel's first time sleeping together. So Ben showed up at her house literally the night of his dead wife's memorial, and they had sex. He said she couldn't tell anyone because they could both lose their jobs, obviously, because he's in charge. Then Isabel thinks about if they ever would have been together if Allison hadn't died. And throughout this whole chapter, I was just so suspecting Ben. Um, Maybe Allison, I said, did die by ingesting too many pills, but I'm really not convinced it was a suicide. Could Ben have been doing a little Munchausen by proxy and made Allison think she needed the pills? And did he do something similar to Isabel? And that's why she started sleepwalking again when really he was trying to kill her. In chapter 37, Isabel fakes a stomach bug so she doesn't have to talk to Waylon all night because she is genuinely afraid of him. Clearly, he's lying about a bunch of stuff right now, and she doesn't even know like how to start processing that information and what to even say to him. But then after he goes to bed, she starts her snooping because she has to know how much he knows or like what his actual motives are here. So she realizes he's had her case file in his briefcase the whole time and not the one that she gave him. His one has marks and coffee stains, and it's clearly something he's been researching for a while. On his laptop, she finds pictures of her, Ben, and Mason, even a candid photo of her and Ben at the bar. And in his search history, she finds the article about True Crime Con that she's been reading like obsessively and wonders if he's the one who made the he's in a better place comment before deleting it. And she also finds an article that's titled Daughter of Congressman Henry Rett Tragically Drowns in Marsh. So we were right about Margaret drowning, which is what I had talked about a few you know chapters ago. And <clears throat> is it possible the mom was trying to drown her and Isabel went out to try to save her. That's just something I was thinking. Then also we're back to Waylon here. I'm really starting to think that he's trying to frame her for this crime and the death of Margaret under the ruse of being a good friend and wanting to help her. I think he's trying to be a good journalist and break this case himself and get the murderer. But I still don't think that's Isabel. And I think he's wrong. Chapter 38 is a flashback. We hear the detective confirm to Isabel's death that they are pronouncing Margaret's death as an accidental drowning, and it does make sense. And I don't know if there's more to it than that. So Margaret was hot in the middle of the night. She asked Isabel to take her down to the marsh to cool off, but Isabel was sleepwalking. Isabel told her she would never hurt her, but she also knew not to wake her when she was sleepwalking. So they went down to the marsh to cool off and Margaret drowned. Is there anything more than that? I'm I'm just not sure. Um, I'm still not totally happy with their mom. And we can't forget about Margaret's weird doll, Ellie, and the mom's odd reactions to that doll. Chapter 39 is back to now. And I said, OMG, so creepy. This chapter like gave me chills, honestly. 
Isabel lets her dog Roscoe into the backyard to go pee. And she realizes she can see the house with the old man on the rocking chair from outside her house too. And she looks like through the trees and he's out there. So she goes over and introduces herself. And the old man says they've met many times over the years that she always used to walk around at night and they would talk. She asks when that stopped because obviously she doesn't recognize him. She feels like they've never met. So clearly she now thinks that she is sleepwalking. So she asked when was the last time he basically saw her. And he said the night Mason disappeared. And he he said he knows because he said that she had her kid with her the last time they spoke. It is beyond creepy, you guys. So was she sleepwalking all that time? She doesn't remember having these conversations, which Dr. Harris said could happen and said happened with Margaret on and off throughout her childhood. So I don't know about that. I was just like blown away. I was so creeped out by that. In chapter 40, Isabel goes inside and Waylon hears her and they have a brief conversation. Isabel finally confronts him and asks him about his conversation with Dozier, but Waylon wants to wait to talk about it until the morning. He locks his door and Isabel realizes that he's really never done that before. So she's starting to think that maybe he's afraid of her just like her mother was. She watches more videos and in one of them, she actually does pick Mason up from the crib. So was she really sleepwalking around the neighborhood? If so, Ben never woke up and heard her leaving the house, like, because he never mentioned it. It's so, so strange. Chapter 41, we get flashbacks here of Ben and Isabel's early life together. Isabel left the grit a month after Allison died, and they were married less than a year after she died. They bought a house and decided they did not want to be parents until everything got boring and complacent. Ben wasn't looking at Isabel anymore, and she wanted to feel needed by someone or something. So she flushed her birth control pills down the toilet, and a month later, she was pregnant. She says she did feel joy, but at first, there was a stab of regret, she says, like a scream underwater, somehow both strident and smothered at the exact same time. So... Again, that scream underwater thing. Now I'm wondering, did she actually kill Margaret or at least have more to do with it than I'm even thinking? Because she keeps bringing it up. But I still, again, I am stuck on the fact that she did not kill Mason. Like, I really don't think so. Chapter 42, Waylon and Isabel finally talk and she confronts him about lying about Dozier. Finally, he admits just what we thought, that Isabel is responsible for Mason's disappearance. He says there's no evidence of anyone ever entering the house the night that Mason disappeared. And Roscoe didn't bark like someone that he didn't know entered the house like he always does. In my mind, this still doesn't mean Isabel did it. Now my mind is definitely pointing more to Ben. Never trust the husband. He, you know, didn't want a son in the first place, and he probably wanted a new, younger version of Isabel. And then clearly, after all of this, Isabel kicks Waylon out like she is done for a good reason. Chapter 43, Isabel goes to Ben's new apartment to ask if he knows anything about the night Mason disappeared. Um, and mostly if he knows if she did anything because she's ready to just like put this all behind her. That's when she meets Valerie, Ben's new girlfriend, who looks just like her half a decade ago. We learn that it's the woman from the grief support group that Isabel visited the night of the vigil. Basically, Ben had been going and that's where they met. He said they didn't get together until after him and Isabel broke up. But again, I'm not buying it and neither is Isabel. Ben had a habit of doing this, obviously he did the same thing to Allison, and then he did the same thing to Isabel. But he doesn't give her any of the answers she came there for. 
Chapter 44, Isabel decided she has to go back to where everything started, to Beaufort and her childhood home. She describes the town and her home in vivid detail before pulling up to the house and ringing the bell for her dad to answer. She thinks that she hasn't seen them since Mason's disappearance, so over a year ago. But I'm truly wondering what their relationship was like before that. She also says she's happy it's her dad that she sees first instead of her mom. In chapter 45, it's a flashback. We get a glimpse into what life was like after Margaret died. Isabel's mother started seeing a therapist and never stopped crying and quit her painting. Her dad retired, started drinking a lot, and grew a beard. The house was barren and depressing, and they never celebrated holidays. It was just awful, and rightly so. Isabel says that after Margaret died, she couldn't sleep anymore, so similar to what happened with Mason. She said it's like her brain was trying to have her remember something. She said when she did sleep, she had a dream about her and Margaret walking out to the marsh, holding hands, and then Margaret turning to Isabel before walking into the marsh while Isabel stood back. Chapter 46 is the last chapter we read. We're back to current times and Isabel and her parents make forced conversation and everything is very uncomfortable. They don't know that her and Ben are separated. She hasn't really updated them on much in her life. Her mother says next to nothing, but does ask how she's holding up. So this is when I first had my big realization, and this is something I'm really thinking is plausible. Could her mom have taken Mason as a replacement for Margaret? Maybe Isabel really did sleepwalk with Margaret that night, though I don't think she did anything violent, though again, I could be wrong. I think her parents for sure think that she did. Her mom was so heartbroken that when she saw Isabel with a baby, she got really jealous. Isabel remembers how her dad was the one who held Mason and felt like a grandfather and her mother hadn't wanted to hold him at all. So I'm really thinking that her mom really thinks that Isabel killed Margaret, which may or may not be true. And when she saw her with Mason, again, another like M.A. name too, like kind of weird, even though it's a boy and Margaret was a girl, she got jealous and maybe even Ben helped her in the kidnapping so he could get out of his marriage with Isabel. Then Isabel asks about what happened the night that Margaret died and if they can talk about it. Her parents clearly don't want to. Her dad says it was a terrible accident. And then Isabel mentioned almost remembering things, but her dad shuts it down immediately. And that is where we stopped. And I need to keep reading. I am so excited to. So, so much happened in this chunk here. We have Isabel sleepwalking and insomnia pattern, and it's very frightening. It's also really frightening who knew about it and could be using that knowledge against her the man on the porch, Ben, her parents. Then we learn that Waylon did have ulterior motives and went to interview Isabel because he believed she committed the kidnapping in some way because there was no forced entry. Again, I'm not buying it. I think Ben had something to do with it. And then I wrote here, could Ben have given Isabel's parents Mason so he could get away and her mother could have a replacement for Margaret? We also meet Ben's new girlfriend, the grief counselor. We also learned that Margaret did die. They went to the funeral when for a while I thought that she might still be alive, like in hiding somewhere. I still am under the impression that Isabel didn't hurt Margaret on purpose, but she may have been there at the time of her death while sleepwalking and her mom could blame her for it. So those are all my notes for this chunk. I am dying to finish this book. I have a lot of work to do today, but I am absolutely planning on reading this this evening and hopefully finishing it today, which is crazy that I'm going to get all the answers because we don't have any answers except for the fact that Margaret is dead. Now I'm going to get into the poll questions that I asked you guys this week. 
Okay, so for starters, as always, I asked, are you reading for the book club this month? And 85% of you said yes, 15% of you said no, I will take those odds. That is great. I'm so happy that so many of you are reading. The next question I asked was what happened with Margaret in the marsh? So the biggest so I had four options, 58% of you said her mother had something to do with it. 21% of you said Isabel sleepwalked and watched her drown. 18% of you said Isabel sleepwalked and killed her. And 3% of you said other. So vast majority of you are with me that she didn't do anything, I don't think, and clearly you guys think so too, that she didn't do anything violent on purpose. So or at all, really. So her mother had something to do with it. That's what I'm leaning towards. I don't know, I could go either way. If her mother did have something to do with it, then I don't think that she took Mason. But if it's the fact that Isabel watched Margaret drown because like she was in like the sleepwalking state, which is more what I'm leaning with. I know I'm going back and forth. Here's what I'm I'm, I'm speaking in circles because I'm trying to figure out my own theories. But my number one theory at this moment is that Isabel and Margaret went out to the marsh together. Margaret went into the marsh to cool off. She thought that Isabel like was awake and with her or even if she knew she was sleepwalking, she knew that she couldn't wake her up and Margaret drowned and Isabel didn't even know because she was sleepwalking. That's what I'm thinking. That's what we see in her flashback when she like she said that she was having dreams all the time about Margaret running ahead of her. And then I think that her mom blamed her for killing her like forever and ever and ever and then took Mason. You guys are on the same page as me for sure. Then the next thing I asked was Waylon said there was no forced entry into Isabel's home. So Mason's kidnapper was in the house. Are we buying it? 77% of you said yes. 23% said no. So I guess, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself, right? I was wondering if there was, if he was actually right about that. But if there was no forced entry, you would have to think that the kidnapper or whoever it was was in the house. So I still don't think this means Isabel did it. I'm thinking Ben had a lot more to do with this than he's letting on. The next question I asked was, who do you think took or killed Mason? I have a very specific theory to discuss on the podcast this week. 55% of you said Ben, 29% of you said Casey or another character, 13% of you said Isabel's mom, and 3% said Isabel. So we're all on the same page with not believing it's Isabel, which is really, really good news. I threw Casey in there because I feel like she's one of those red herring characters like we talked about in Just the Nicest Couple with Ryan Schroeder that... It's just in there just enough where if she did end up doing something like, for example, having an affair with Ben and then getting really angry that Isabel got everything that she wanted, she would do something like kidnap Mason to like ruin Isabel's life. It would all make sense. You'd be like, oh my God, Casey, like crazy twist because like she's not in it enough, but she's in it enough where it would still be like, you'd be like a recognizable character who committed the crime. Still leaning with Ben and I'm definitely still leaning with Isabel's mother, though only 13% of you agreed with me there. Who And then I asked, who are you trusting the least out of these characters? 61% of you said Ben, 29% of you said Waylon, and 11% of you said Isabel's parents, and no one said Casey on this slide, which is interesting because I had just said, who do you think killed Mason or took Mason at least, and 29% of you said Casey or someone else. Maybe I'm wrong. Is it the man on the porch? Am I going crazy? I don't know. And then no one said that Casey, you guys were, you're pretty trusting of Casey. I don't know. We're all in agreement that Ben is being wicked shady and we need to learn more. 
Then I asked, do you think Isabel was actually sleepwalking with Mason like the old man on the porch said? 40% said yes, 60% said no. If she wasn't, what is his motive to lie? And who is he? Like, is she a hallucination? Is he a hallucination? That's almost what I'm leaning more with now, because apparently no one else lives with Paul Hayes. And I just don't know, like, it doesn't really make sense, like, who he is and if she was actually sleepwalking with him. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's not adding up. So I'm thinking that he's a hallucination. And then I said, I want to know all of your theories, elaborate. And then someone said, Ben is setting her up. He knows something. Otherwise, he wouldn't move on so easily. And I completely agree. I think we're going to definitely get something going on with Ben as the husband here. We are definitely going to get some, some answers moving forward. And that is all for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, read to the end of the book for next week's episode. I personally am dying to know what happens. I know so many of you have already finished, so you're probably just dying to hear what I have to say and talk about for next week's final episode. And I am with you. I can't wait. And like I said, we have our four book options for April, and they will be posted on Wednesday to my stories. So make sure to be on Instagram at Grace's Reading Nook on Wednesday to see the choices that we have for April. And that is all for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll talk to you all in the next episode. Bye guys. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.